0: Last week, We took some time to get our bearings. We are in week 23. Can you believe that? Of this amazing book uh, of the Bible, Revelation. Uh, This is week 24 that we're in. If you are just joining us, this is the fourth series of series that we've done. We've uh, studied each fall. We've taken seven, eight weeks each fall over the last four years. This is the fourth time to do this, to go verse by verse, work our way systematically through this book and that is because of the promise in verse uh, chapter 1, verse 3. You saw this a minute ago, but blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. That'd be me. I'm getting the blessing. Uh, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is is near. Say amen to that. That's a big piece. Now here's what I want you to see. You will get the blessing by hearing it if you also keep what is written in it. It doesn't work. You don't get the blessing unless you actually do what it says. The blessing is real. It's multifaceted. But what we got to see is the purpose in studying this book is that we begin to understand the character of God. This is so important. I think so many times we shy away from this book of scripture because it's scary, it's confusing, and people are like arguing about it, you know. But I think if we don't read it, then we're deprived of this promise in the blessing that the book reveals and the future that you and I need to be prepared for. And worse, if we don't read it and know this book, our spiritual enemy, Satan, wins a battle in our life because we are disconnected from what God wants us to know. Now, let me give you a little warning here uh, of a pitfall that so many Christians fall into of studying the Bible in uh, in general, but this book in specific terms when <clears throat> the pitfall is that it's easy to pr- bring your own preconceived ideas and read them into the scripture does that make sense or to late take a look of going this is my experience in the world and let me look at scripture through my experience that's wrong When that happens, you get a totally different message, and let me just say, wrong message. You add to the Bible if you do that. Here's what we always have to do. You always have to say, what is written in the words there? What is the truth? You don't add to the words, you don't subtract to the words, you don't take some outside meaning and try to find words in there that go, oh yeah, that verifies what I believe. It's not trying to find my truth and bring it to Scripture. It's fine trying to find the truth. You understand the difference? No more, no less. Now, in trying to understand, that with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I don't say that lightly. That's huge. Now, the danger is particularly bad when it comes to the book of Revelation. Uh, Since the time of the early church, we can see believers make this mistake over and over again in church history. It's one of the reasons I love studying church history because we can see how God has continually reformed the church. People look around them. They overlay the scripture They say, here's what's in the newspaper, here's what I know about history, here's what's my experience. Let me look at this uh, chapter of this book and let me tell you what the deeper meaning is. That's what we do as Christians. That's wrong. Last week we said one of the benefits of studying this is we can see our future. And that is very true. But what we cannot do is we cannot know how all the little details and the timing play into this. We simply don't know that stuff until it happens. The early church, they thought that the Roman uh, Emperor Nero was the Antichrist. By the way, that was wrong. He was a type of Antichrist, yes. In the 15th, 16th century, 17th, uh, lots of Christians thought and taught that uh, uh, different popes of the Roman Catholic Church were the Antichrist or the Beast. In the 1940s, it was Hitler. In, in the 1960s, uh, it, was, it was Henry Kissinger. You know, and, and, and those were really big pushes of going. In, in the 1970s, 80s, 90s, you can see on and on. You can just look and read history. I remember someone telling me, man, Gorbachev is the Antichrist. I know for sure. And some of you that are younger than 20 go, who's Gorbachev? (laughs) If you study church history, it doesn't take you long to see how people got off from the Word of God. They started pursuing what they wanted to see. It's almost as if... People say, I want to take what I know about the world, what's happening in the newspaper, and I want to read the Bible through those lenses. We have to take those lenses off, put the right lenses on, the lens of Scripture, and look at the world through the lens of Scripture. Does that make sense? It it sounds simple, and yet it is so big to understand for a mature Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. This stuff is interesting. I mean, if you study at church history and you look at that stuff of like political leaders and history and you go, but this war and this earthquake or what about this famine or what about, what about what? I go, man, that's interesting conversation. It will not change your life. But if you look at that stuff through the lens of scripture, it will. Do You see the difference? I want you to understand. Think of it this way. Um. If we're not careful, the strangeness and scariness of revelation can drive us to look at the world around us and make decisions about our daily lives that God doesn't want us to make. We need to make decisions based on Scripture and who God is, the character of God, and not the newspaper. And certainly not on speculation of who the Antichrist might be. Today, we pick it up, chapter 17. Up until now, we've been moving chronologically through time, moving through the end times, event after event, and that's the timeline we studied last week. You remember that? Now, chapter 17 and 18 are different. The timeline has stopped for two chapters here. We're going to spend a few weeks on these chapters here. But what's happening is it's going back in time and it's like this interlude, these two chapters, and it's looking at that seven years of tribulation and really specifically the last three and a half years we call the what? The great tribulation. Now remember what we said about uh, imagery in the book of Revelation. We don't shy away from the imagery because that imagery gives us a way to dive deeper into the meaning and see what's going on. If you're just joining us, the short answer of why this book and what's happening is the uh, disciple John, now the apostle John, is an old man. We think he's the last disciple living at this point. And he's on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean called Patmos. It's a prison island. Like he's free to walk around on the island, but he can't get off. He's there because he won't quit preaching about Jesus. And they've locked up this old man. He lives in a cave. By the way, you can still go to this cave. He's in this cave, living there, fishing for his food, doing that during the day. And he is given a revelation By Jesus Christ himself as he stands in the cave. So he's physically on Patmos in the Mediterranean, standing in this cave. He's given this vision by Jesus, and this is what this is. Let's get going on chapter 17, but first, would you pray? Our Father God, would you make your name excellent in our world? Make your name, your greatness known in our life to those around us. Make our church known because you are lifted up and you are glorified. Father God, our our prayer is that we would see you here today in these pages of Scripture. Father, I know that there are people hearing my voice right now that are um, just all over the place. Some mature, some immature. God, some that are not even saved. My prayer is that um, your Holy Spirit would meet each person where they are my um, prayer is that you would not leave us where we are, but grow us. God, show us the next step in our maturity today. Help us to exercise our faith. God, we don't want to just knowledge, but we want, we want to know you. We want a relationship with you, God, through your son, Jesus. So, Father, guard my words. Help me to relay only what you want me to say. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. We all prayed and said, amen, amen. Amen Amen is a way to say, that's right, that's what I believe. All right, take a look at this. We just left off, I say we just, well, a year ago. Man, that went by fast. We left off at chapter 16. Last week we were looking at the whole picture. Now we're going to pick it up with 17. The great tribulation, we've been studying seven bowls of judgment, one bowl at a time. That's the spiritual picture of these angels dumping the bowl out one at a time, seven different angels. On earth what it looked like was total worldwide devastation, right? That's what's been happening. Now pick it up at 17 verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. Got the picture? It's talking to who? John, come, I will show you. That's what angels sound like. Another one. <laughs> come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on many waters. I told you this is thick with imagery. Don't shy away. Lean into the imagery. Go with me. It's going to get deep fast, but you're going to see this. The notorious prostitute, yours may say um, great harlot. Uh, In there, I've seen different translations. We are not given her name yet, but we will be. What we are about to see is the judgment that has been poured out on her during these seven and a half years, but specifically during the last three and a half years in the Great Tribulation. What we want to see is who she is, and, uh, but first, where is she? It says she is seated on many waters. Now, here's what you need to know about many waters. When you start a city, especially in the old days, where did you put it? You put it on the coast, or you put it on a river, or on a big lake. You see that thing? So all of the world, cities are always on that kind of peace. Now look, waters represent people and nations. This is important to understand. This is the first thing that we'll see of this woman. This prostitute is not a single woman or person, but rather a system that is worldwide. I get this question a lot. And they say, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Here's what it is. You ready? You want to know? You want to know? Okay, here it is. Notorious prostitute represents Satan's adulterous system of religion. And we're going to dive into this. You don't have to understand all of it. But understand that it is Satan's adulterous system worldwide of religion. Now, during the tribulation, there are large numbers of people that will turn their hearts toward Jesus, that are true believers. Millions and millions, perhaps, do I say billions, right? Some of you are going, you knew what that was and you just didn't, you don't want to say, do you? So, it could be billions, but it's led by 144,000 God-appointed evangelists that are Jewish People that have turned their hearts towards Christ after the rapture. So, all the believers, if you're a believer, you won't be on earth here, you will be in heaven. I think you'll probably see this though. Be a mass turning to Christ through this. But also, during this same time, because of the devastation of the earth and the problem mankind is facing... There are millions that become followers of a new worldwide counterfeit religion. By the way, it will be known as a religion of peace. It will be a religion of prosperity. This scares me even to think about it. And you go, how could Satan have a religion of peace and prosperity? He already has one, Islam. This isn't talking about Islam. It's Islam with everything else in it. On its surface, this religion will seem like a good idea. It's a religion of peace. They take comfort in this religion, and this new religion encompasses all other religions into one new super religion. And the leaders of this new religion will, the leader will be called the false prophet now that's not what they will call him that's what we call him because that's what the prophecy he'll probably have some pointy hat and have a really nice robe and have a cool name but this is will be led by the false prophet now as it will also say that it includes christianity and you'll say how in the world will it say that well false religion already does say it includes christianity right We we already see this happening now to some extent. Surveys tell us that in America, just the United States, Canada, uh, uh, that whole big region, we've got 90 plus percent of people believe in God, right? Some of that is a little, gee, God. Um, In other words, they believe there's some higher power, some mastermind behind it all. Now, in Europe, a little bit less. But then if you take the rest of the world, it's above 95% of people that believe in God. Why is that? Let me give you some insight. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, before the fall of mankind into sin. That's why we studied Genesis this last spring. Look at this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, He's just created him, and placed Him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. When you read this and think, oh, we were created to be farmers. Wrong! Wrong. That's not, that's not true. If you're a farmer, we're not knocking you. That's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about gardening here. The word keep, if you're looking that up, means to guard over or to rule, dominate Adam and Eve, this first man and woman were to function in this relationship with God as like a royal vizier, like Joseph under Egypt. Mankind was supposed to rule the universe, right, from this garden. Now, what was the garden? It's going to blow your mind because we're going to see it come up over and over again in coming weeks. The garden was this place to meet God, to worship God, and to live. By the way, we're going back to that garden, but it's going to look very different. That's what we're going to see in the end of this series. I want you to understand, the problem is we got kicked out of the garden. Why? Because the world fell into sin. Here's what you understand. As you read, going from Genesis through this, we got kicked out of the garden, but we still have this desire, this need to connect with God. And if you're connecting with God or if you're not a believer at all, you still have the need. I say a whole-shaped uh, 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 like God in your heart. Does that make sense? Like you need God to function. And and, uh, to say it better, we need to have God in our lives to function with meaning, with purpose. Like you're designed to work. Everyone looks for purpose in life. Now listen to me. If you're not a believer in Christ Jesus, this is one of the things that I would think would drive you there. Why? Because of this peace. You are driven for something and you can't put your finger on it, can you? You can't put your finger on it. Here's what that means. Man is created to worship. Man, mankind, that means Adam, that's the original word in Hebrew, means man and woman. But if you do not connect with God, the only way possible through Jesus, then you will try That To fill that need, to connect with God through worship of something else. Listen to me. You will worship something. And and I have people go, no, I don't worship anything. Like I work all the time. When would I worship? I'd go, hello, hello. (laughs) I've had moms go, I can't worship. I'm constantly driving these little kids. I want the best for them. I just want my marriage to work. I don't worship. Yeah, yeah, you you do. You do. You will try to fill that hole in your life that was designed to only be filled with God. People try everything to fill that hole. Relationships, money, experience. Man, that's where the bucket list came from. I gotta fill, I gotta do something. I gotta experience life. I mean, think sex, power. Obviously, through religion, mankind tries to do this. That's... Where every religion on earth comes from. Think about it this way. Every religion on earth tries to connect you with God by you doing something. You ever thought about that? Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. I have done it for you. You see the difference? Let me say something that is today pretty controversial in church, but it shouldn't be. It hasn't been controversial in the past to Orthodox Christian teaching, at least in the church. But Jesus makes an absolute truth claim. You know what absolute truth claim? Just exactly what the Word says. He says, this is absolute truth. This is it. Jesus says this, John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let me just check. How many people come to the Father outside of Jesus? none what about people that uh that have never heard about jesus none it actually needs none now here's what i want you to understand meaning there is one way to this relationship with god through jesus if you disagree with that listen uh and you go but i believe jesus this is jesus talking not me So my my point is when Christians say, but I don't, I don't agree. So how will you ever uh, learn what the Bible says is when you disagree with it, you get to, to like put a little veto. Well, I just don't believe that part. You see what I mean? We have to take the words that are written, not the words that we wish were there, not the words we want away from there. These are hard words. There is one way to get in right relationship with God and millions and millions of ways to get it wrong. There is Christianity and there is every other religion. And in a very real way, what is happening here in chapter 17 of Revelation is that all other religions morph into one. Now this is going to blow your mind next week on how this happened to where it came from. This is going to send shivers down your spine. I promise you. I get all the time when I talk to religious people that are not Christians, they say something like, all religions, Paul, are just the same. It's just one God. Uh, it's just a different name. They sound so nice and they're nice people. Um, it's just one God or force or something. And have you heard that? Have you heard that? Yeah, I have. Um, they say things like, it doesn't matter what you believe, just believe in something. And I always laugh when someone goes, but I don't believe anything. And they go, well, just be sincere in that then, and you'll get to heaven. I go, what? They say things like, all paths lead to the same mountaintop. Or they'll say it differently, that God is no longer on the mountain hill, come down through Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad. They put their car bumper sticker, coexist on their little Prius and drive off. That, I am so sorry if you drive a Prius. That was, that was low. That was low. Except the Antichrist drives one. And then, that's, that's not even true. I need to quit joking like that. But it is funny. It is funny. Let me say this with all seriousness. A pastor listened to very closely recently said this verse he read this verse and I was going praise God because like 15 minutes into his talk before he brought this praise God he's going to bring this out and you know what he said he said Christians have weaponized this verse and made it mean that like Jesus thought he was the only way (laughs) run from a guy like that that's heresy that's heresy and the scary thing is he claimed to be a Christian pastor. So in a very real sense, what we see happening in chapter 70 of uh, Revelation is all these religions coming together, right? Look at uh, verse 2. Man, we are in trouble. All right, the angel talking to the apostle John. Look what he says. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her. Who's her? This prostitute, Right. And those who live on the earth became drunk on the wine of her. Who's her? The prostitute. Sexual immorality. So what is this saying? Well, if the woman here is the notorious prostitute, represents Satan's adulterous system of religion, who or what are the kings? Here it is. The kings are the political leaders during the time of tribulation. This is the religious system. This woman seduces the political system. Now, think of a regular prostitute, not too much, but she seduces this guy to paying her, right? Who is the stronger one typically? I mean, just physically. It's usually the guy, right? Uh, Not the girl, but she seduces him with her power, with her beauty. This is what it's describing, uh, the seducing these kings, the leaders, really the people with money, possession, prosperity they become drunk with this this woman this promising oh man god just wants the best for you he just wants everything good for you make sure you understand what sexual immorality is talking about here sexual immorality represents idolatry This is important to understand. Sexual immorality in this context represents idolatry. In other words, if we are made to worship and we don't worship God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we will worship something else. Bottom line. And whatever we worship in the place of the one true God becomes an idol. Now, we can put all kinds of good stuff in the place of God. I'm not saying that those things are bad in and of themselves. But we will worship those things. We serve it in hopes that it will fill this hole in our life. I'm guilty of this, i got to tell you. You can put kids here. You can put that marriage relationship. You can put your job. You can put friendship. You can put being healthy, working out. You can put anything. You can put good things in the place uh, of God to worship. But when you do, those things become evil in your life. They become an idol. Why? Because they are not God. Only God can fill that need in our life. Worship is only for God. Period. Now, why does God use sexual immorality here as this imagery for idolatry? Uh, We see it all through um, the Old Testament. You see it over and over. Let's take a look. Jeremiah chapter 3. It's a kind of not... Not real easy to find, but just flip back to this. I want you to see this here. Uh, It's chapter 3, verse 6. Jeremiah is an old prophet. Um, (laughs) We'll get to this. Uh, I can't connect it yet because I'll go off on a rabbit trail. Um, Israel or Judah is about to be taken captive uh, into captivity. Israel is already gone. So look at this. Verse 6, in the days of King Josiah, the Lord asked me, have you seen what unfaithful Israel has done? you got to remember, it used to be just all God's people, but then the kingdom split, Israel in the north. Jews, I'm sorry, yeah, in the north. In the south, Judah, and it has Jerusalem in there. So Israel's been taken off, they've just been taken off. Does that make sense? By Babylon. She has ascended every high hill and gone under every green tree to prostitute, to prostitute herself there. What's it talking about? She, it's interesting, whenever you talk about a country, they, God refers to them as a female. It's also true of religion. You'll see this. By the way, like when he says, we are the bride of Christ. Just interesting thing. You, you with me? So she is Israel, ascended every high hill. What is that talking about? Every high hill. Well, when they would worship Baal, this, this uh, false demon god, they would go under these spreading trees and they would have these ritualistic worship service under these things involving, yeah, some pretty awful stuff, including child sacrifice, sexual orgies, all the stuff in there. And... They would go up to the top of the mountains and they would do the same thing there. That's what it's talking about. Make sense? I thought, this is God, I thought after she has done all these things, she will return to me. Talking about Israel. But she didn't return and her treacherous sister Judah, the one in the south, saw it. I observed that it was because unfaithful Israel had committed adultery that I had sent her away and had given her a certificate of divorce. This is God talking. He said, nevertheless, her treacherous sister Judah was not afraid, but also went and prostituted herself. Do you get this picture? Do you see what God is saying to the, through the prophet Jeremiah? Interesting. Interesting. The nation of Israel was being described by God here. And then Judah saw it and did the same thing. Interesting, the Bible uses this picture here. I don't know about you, but there are times, um, there have been times in my life when I've sought to fill that hole in my heart with something good instead of God. And I'm a Christian. I've been one for a long time. Tried to fill it with my wife, my kids, relationship. Here's the crazy thing. Sometimes I've even tried to fill it with church. You know what I mean? Like, church can fill that. I've worshipped the church. Here's the one that's scary for me. I've tried to fill it with the mountains. Have you? The beauty? Oh, I feel God's hand. I'm gonna go worship in the mountains. No. Bro, you worship the mountains. I I love the mountains as, as much as any man. But sometimes I've been guilty of that. How about you? Are you doing that now? Trying to fill the need for God with worship of something else? That's idolatry, bro. Time to cut it out. Okay, we got to keep moving here. There's just so much that I don't want us to miss. So the angel says all of this and then watch verse 3. We're only on verse 3. All right, here it is. Then he carried me away in the Spirit to A wilderness remember this is a vision john is in a cave this is just a vision but the scene changes here john is taken to this wilderness second half of the verse i saw a woman by the way same woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names the beast was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns The prostitute of this false religious system in the last days is in alliance with political powers of the world. Look at this. The one world religion will be part of the world's political system we already know she seduced the kings and they become one the seven heads and ten horns we could go for weeks here on speculation of who this is countries people have gone everything from ancient countries to new and i'm saying to you that's interesting but it's not what you need to know here we'll look at a little bit next week on this what you need to know is the big picture. The woman is riding the beast. In other words, the beast is carrying her. The beast here, will look, is what we call the beast or the Antichrist. We've studied there. The beast is carrying her. You and I live in a country with the separation of church and state. Amen? That will be taken away from you. That will be taken away from you. Uh, this is important to understand. In the end times... Um, well, let me say this separation of church and state. Most people get this wrong. They believe church can't speak into state. It's actually the opposite. It's the state cannot tell the church how to operate. Back in the day, you would have political systems that says this is our religion. You must believe this way. Now, why is that interesting if you don't have a separation of church and state? Because the state has the power of the gun. The gun enforces, or the power of the sword, if you want to think of it biblically like that. You can say, well, I want to believe whatever I want to believe. And the state says, nope, you can't. can't believe what you want to believe. This is what you will be able to believe, Uh, and they will coerce you. Look at verse 4. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with everything that is detestable and with her, within, and with the impurities of her prostitution. Now what is this? The great great harlot now is dressed like a queen notice she is holding the golden cup full of everything detestable and with impurities of her prostitution what does that mean in other words the cup appears to be royal appears to be like god appears to be good but what is holding what it is holding in the cup is actually sin what kind of sin the sin that she sold these political leaders and many of the world to say hey come be a part of my system it's all Going to be prosperity. I just want it's a it's just peace and prosperity. I want I want your best life now. Sorry, that's too far, but God, what uh, I, I want you to see something here. Um, sin comes to us this same way. I mean, it looks good on the outside, it's alluring. Uh, it's it's for guys, it's a pretty girl holding a cup dressed in wonderful robes. The cup even looks good, you see, but it's it's what. Sin has in it that is the thing that will make you drunk and forget everything else. A little side note here. You'll notice when people sin, they might look good on the outside, like the golden cup. Uh, But it's what is on the inside that God is seeing. Like, you may hide sin from me, like I can't see. I'm not very smart. But you can't hide it from God. You just can't. God sees it. Write this down. The prostitute here symbolizes the seductive appeal of the worldly economic system that will arise. This is part of the religious piece. They're all together. In other words, all your wildest dreams will come true. You can have your best life now. The leaders of the world are driven for wealth and power. They sell that to the people, and the people of the world will buy it. They will bite down on that hook. They are drawn to the prostitute's allure. She looks good. Everything about her looks good to the pleasure she is offering. The stuff inside the cup is what drives her lovers, the kings, the leaders, the people insane. Check out this verse back in Jeremiah uh, 51 verse 7. You won't get this at first, but it's going it's, it's to rip your mind out here. Babylon was a gold cup in the Lord's hand, making the whole earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations go mad. You go, well, Paul, I don't get it. Oh, baby, you will. Look at that line. Babylon was the gold cup in the Lord's hand talking about God's hand, making the whole earth trunk. Babylon was this massive nation that controlled much of the known world at one point. What I want you to see here is that God used this godless empire that uh, that ravaged the world to bring judgment on both Israel and Judah. God allowed this godless, awful nation to come and destroy His people, carry them into captivity. Now, God did not cause the sinfulness of Babylon but he certainly used it to bring about its destruction of uh, all these nations and then Babylon's destruction. We'll see that. Uh, we'll see this coming soon. In Revelation 17, he's doing it again. He's hearkening back. Look at verse 5 of Revelation 17. On her forehead was written a name, woo, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the det- and of the detestable things of the earth. You're not going to get this all down. I hope, I hope I can put this together for you in the next few weeks. The prostitute's name is literally Mystery Babylon the Great. Her name is not a mystery. It, her name is Mystery. Does that make sense? It's like I can't win that argument. But that's what her name is. God is hearkening back to this Babylon name, this powerful nation back in the day that was totally destroyed, Babylon uh, uh, was also a massive, powerful capital city within. This was the, uh, the seat of power. Uh, we'll come, we'll see some crazy, crazy connections to this. I want to jump to them all the way back, all the way back in this word to Genesis, all the way back. You'll see it when false religion, check this out, was invented. And it was only one. It was only one, but it came, became many. Sum this up with me. This woman we have been studying, this one world religion, is the mother of all detestable things on earth. That's a big claim. And remember, there are only two teams, God's and Satan's. God uh, and Satan are at odds, good and evil, and all through the world's, although the world's religions are all separated right now, in the tribulation they will become One. Babylon is the mother or source of all false religions. I'm going to hurt some people's feelings. Every other religion but Christianity is from this chick. Let me close with verse 6 and 7. Verse 6, then I saw then I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints. And with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus, when I saw her, I was greatly astonished. A pleasure and wealth addicted world conspires with a power addicted one world government to listen, silence all the people who have the testimony that they have turned their hearts to Jesus during these seven years of tribulation. What that means is the 144,000 will be miraculously uh, Protected during this time. But listen to me. Millions upon millions of believers that turn their heart to Christ will be hunted down like animals and put to death. They will be martyred in the millions. And, let, and just like you know, um, just like now, John is astonished. His mouth is hanging open just like yours is. Look at this, verse 7. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. Uh, I leave you hanging uh, right here. I like doing that. You can read this on your own, and that's my hope. Uh, Last week, I made the statement that we are in the end times. I said that Jesus may come back tonight or it may be a thousand years. And you go, but Paul, how can you say we are in the end times? When I say we're living in the end times, it means that there's not another age to come. We are in the church age, the last age before Christ returns. We don't know how long this church age will last. But here's what we do know. The date is marked on the calendar. This is going to challenge your theology here. Consider the words of Jesus Christ. Mark 13, 32. Jesus said, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Now let me just say, I think Jesus knows now. Some people will say, no, this is before uh, His death and resurrection. Maybe not, maybe not. But the Father says there is a day. There is an hour. In other words, by inference, it's saying the day, the hour is set. The clock is ticking. What I want you to see, the day is not variable. It's not like the last day keeps getting bumped out. And, and against the advice of countless um, Crackpots out there. You can't make it come faster. Like, I've heard guys go, well, if we could do this and this and this, that would force God. I go, hey, baby, you don't force God to do anything. Like, like I don't know who you thought you were, uh, but you don't force God or he wouldn't be God. There is a day set. Jesus is coming soon. When we say that, it's a mindset. Only God knows the day. And run from any pastor or any teacher that says, well, let me tell you, I've calculated the day." Run from that guy, right? When we say we are living in the end times, what we are saying is that it is a way of life for Christians to live. To know that these troubles are only temporary. This is not our home. We won't be here long. And yet I would suggest to you that most of you treat it like this is it. You go, i got to get my bucket list. i got to do all this thing. It's all about me. Jesus says, no, it's about God. It's about everyone else. It's a mindset we have to have. The time is short. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You humbly. We say, thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus, for giving us the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus, we say, come quickly. We pray, come quickly. We know uh, you are coming, God. But what we're saying, what we're saying when we pray that, folks, is this, change us. Make us into the church you want us to be. Grow us up so that if we believe this, we would share Jesus with our next door neighbor. We would share Jesus with that person in our family we don't know is saved. We're not sure. We would share Jesus with all those around God, our prayer is that you would make urgency, our call that this is the end. That the gospel would be foremost in our minds. So we lay this before you, God. Our church, our lives. And we say, use us. Help us to become the people you've called us to be. Help us to become the unit, your bride, the church. Help us to proclaim biblical truth, your gospel. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.